Is it now? It's now. Okay. Good morning, one and all. I am delighted to be here by the grace of God. Uh, you should know, some of you do, uh, I don't know, probably nobody here is that old, but some of you are, that uh, in 1980, 1972, the Lord called this sinner to walk with him. And I knew nothing about the things of God except that I was very good at using his name in most inappropriate ways. In fact, uh, in the army, we uh, tried to say things worse and worse to prove how fearless we are. We don't fear God. We don't fear anything. And in 1971, um, 72, I came to know the Lord Jesus. And it was a wonderful experience. My wife came along just a few months after that. And then um, uh, in 1980, God called us out of the business world. We were Amway distributors. And the only reason I went to church, of course, was to get the names of people. And, um, you know, I got the name all right. I did get the name. And that's what changed us. So in 1980, the Lord called us out of that world. Uh, very interesting. I was at a missions conference one time, and an old gentleman with that gray hair and a gray shirt and a gray suit and a gray tie and a gray message was a missionary. He'd been in Africa many years, and he was just going on during a dinner for men, kind of rumbling along, mumbling. And finally, he sort of stopped, and he said, well, I think God is calling some of you in this room. So if God is calling you, just stand up and I'll pray for you. And I remember, literally, I put my hand on my head and I said to myself, sit down, fool. <laughs> so of course I didn't stand up because I was brave and bold and I kept my seat. But not too long after that, the Lord said, make your move. And bless the Lord, this church came and stood behind Brenda and me, and it has been a joy for a long, long time to have an association with you. I'm sorry I don't get here very often, but live in Maryland now, down next to Andrews Air Force Base, just about, uh, we live maybe 10 miles south of the White House. Uh, years ago, they had bushes in the White House, but they removed them. So, you know, so that's uh, one of those things, you know. So. <laughs> So our work began working with international students, particularly in Bridgeport. I grew up all around the world. Uh, my dad worked for an oil company, so we went to India in 1950. That is how I'm speaking, like Indian fellow. And um, from there, uh, he shifted the house to Indonesia and Sumatra. And then after a year, we moved to Java, to Jakarta. And when he shifted the house, my mother took us to southern France because my mother was born in Egypt and her parents had retired to uh, Nice in France. So I lived in France for six months and then Indonesia and then I went to school in the Philippines and then my dad was transferred to Pakistan and then from Pakistan I went to high school in Beirut, Lebanon and from Beirut I worked in Iran for the summer and then I came to college in Middlebury, Vermont. That's where the cows outnumber the people. And um, after four years of snow, because I thought I'd like to go to some place with snow, it was very cold, I went into the army and went to Germany for three years, and then to Vietnam, 
and came back out. No reason to be angry, but an angry young man, a very profane, filthy mouth person. Not like any of you here, but that was what I, I'm sorry to say is the truth. Well, um, in time, we heard the call to work with international students, and after five years working with, in the Connecticut area with International Students Incorporated, we were dealing with students at UB and at UNH, University of New Haven, and at Yale, and at WestCon, and sometimes up to UConn, and we would take the students on retreats at this, you know, important times of the year, Easter time. We had an Easter conference, uh, Memorial Day. We had a Memorial Day conference, uh, Christmas time. We went to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. What better place to go? And had a conference there. And people would, students would stay with families, and we'd have a speaker come and speak on the theme of whatever was going on. And it was uh, designed as an evangelistic conference as well as discipleship. So we would have the students that were Christians and give them the responsibility of leading Bible studies and helping them to prepare because many of them didn't know how. Some were very good at it, but we helped them. So it's just a ministry to reach and teach and develop. And after uh, 10 years of working with international students, we changed to a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ, which is what I've been doing since 1990. And a year and a half ago, the Lord took my beloved almost 50 years to be with him. Oh, how wonderful. A friend of mine, a Filipino um, cardiologist who was a student at Yale, and we got to know him there a long time ago. He called me up and he asked me for all the particulars, and I told him, yep, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he said, just, just know this. She could have been in a wheelchair for the last 10 years of her life. So be grateful. I said, I'm grateful. You know, God, she's with the Lord. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. No more taxes. Doesn't have to worry about all this nonsense going on in Washington, D.C. and everywhere else in the world. I mean, gone. It's wonderful, you know. So anyway, I've, in the last 20 years, I've traveled to India every year, except for COVID years. And God willing, I'll go again this year. And uh, it's a ministry of teaching and preaching and other Indian fellows there that they arrange. And then someplace you go and somebody says, oh, next year, can you come to our place? Well, I don't know. You will pray about it. You work on it. And if the Lord does it, we'll go. And so that's what I've done. I've gone all over and mostly in the Northeast in Sikkim, which is right next to China. Sikkim borders China. It's a border state have to have a special permit to enter there. And then also Nagaland, which is on the border of Myanmar, or Burma, it used to be called Myanmar, but it's Myanmar. And uh, then I've been all over India, South, Central. But anyway, it is very lovely to go to India and again. And I'm speaking some Hindi, so that is Hamtora Hindi Sakta. This way I can get a little bit of traveling in. Teaching, teaching. Encouraging men and women, boys and girls, to walk with the living God. Because other than that, it's going to be one hell of a bad day. I have a friend who's uh, dead now, an uh, old retired army man, actually who served in Japan as an engineer after the war, and he had Jehovah Witnesses come to his door. And of course, you know, Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in hell. And after some long discussion, which wasn't getting hot, but he was getting a little irritated, <laughs> when it was time for them to leave, he said, now, I know you don't believe in hell, but when you die, you're in for one hell of a surprise. 
Well, hopefully that won't happen to us this morning. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, God willing, today. And I've got a thing in here someplace which may help. And let's see what happens. Hey, Ephesians chapter 3, not too bad, eh? And the subtitle in my ESV is The Mystery of the Gospel is Revealed. There's been this tremendous mystery through the years, and it's revealed there. So you can see that this mystery is something that the prophets of long ago, they sought to know about this. And, and you know, the angels long to look into this. And what is this tremendous mystery? So let's just read a little bit of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, well, first of all, where is Ephesus? Anybody know? Uh, yeah, Turkey, you're right. So there's the question. Yeah. Okay, and then we wait long enough. I did this on a PowerPoint, and I'm just getting the hang, but there it is. Okay. So modern-day Izmir is Ephesus, and Ephesus was a port city, and uh, the Roman road came into Ephesus, and then people would cross over to uh, Greece, to Athens, and then carry on. So this is a very influential city. Uh, There's a lot of worship going on all over the world. People worship God in many, many ways, and they find their own ways to worship. And he came there and spent quite a long time there. And he's now in Rome as a prisoner. And in verse chapter 3, he says, let's see if I got it right here. Oh, we're getting close to it. Okay. For this, well, you can read it, I can read it. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. I think, how many Jewish people are here this morning? Funny you don't look Jewish, but it's good to see you. A hundred years you should live. Yeah, I mean, I have some Jewish friends. Benny Biena was a wonderful Jewish believer in uh, early years. And there's a young a man that comes to the Bible study we have in Arlington, Virginia. And he's Jewish. And it just fills out the Bible study. Because, you know, we can say, so tell us a little bit about this. And he will. A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, the non-Jews, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Not known to the sons of men in other generations. So at this particular time, God has chosen to reveal something that he knew and people wondered about for many, many years. So you have with Adam and Eve the covering of their sin. You remember they, they, they got a very good garment make, manufactured to make you know, coats out of fig leaves. It was a figment of their imagination. And, you know, they thought this would be a good deal, but of course it doesn't last very long. So then God supplied the skin of an animal, skins of an animal. I'm guessing there's two of them. Maybe it's a big, maybe it's an elephant. But, you know, what I'm guessing is this. We're not told, 
and I'm just guessing that God said, you need a permanent covering. And I think a leather jacket. You know, why do motorcyclists wear leather? Leathers? I was a motorcyclist for a long time. Because if you go off the thing, you know, leather jacket, that'll go a long way to save your hide. Uh, keep you from losing your skin. And so leather coat will be much more permanent than fig leaves. And so God says, well, we'll get you a decent garment to cover your nakedness. And so, of course, an animal was sacrificed. Now, I don't believe, I mean, we're not told, so this is all speculation on my part, but I have a reason for bringing it up. So I don't think he waits, oh, here's a dead animal right here, let's just skin it and we'll make, I don't think he did that. You have done something heinous. You've disobeyed your creator. And so an animal was sacrificed, perhaps a lamb. Now, the reason I say that is when it comes to Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel, one gives an offering which is the product of his labor, his effort, his hard work, you know, raising these vegetables and growing them and, you know, cleaning them and all of this. And then he, you know, he's, you know, I've done this and now I'm going to make this offering to God. His brother, on the other hand, brought a blood sacrifice. And I'm thinking... Let's see, mom and dad's sin was covered by the blood of a, let's say, a lamb. We don't know that it was a lamb, but it was a blood sacrifice, something to give them a permanent covering or long-lasting covering. So that had to have gone passed down to their children. Two sons, two choices. I'll sing with Frank and do it my way. By the way, Frank is dead. You all know, I mean, for the younger ones, Frank Sinatra, he, he's dead. But he sang this song, I did it my way. Yeah, so the, one son chose to do it my way. The other son chose to do it in a way that was acceptable to God. And I'm believing, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, let's see, this God did this, and then so Adam and Eve, you know, they, they pass this down to the sons. This is the offering which is acceptable to God. Now, why do I say this? Because when Jesus comes, John the baptizer says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So that's what I'm guessing happened. But one chose this and the other chose that. And because the one was jealous of the other, he kills his brother. And here we are today in a mess years later. Now, by the way, the, the world went along for a long time. And out of all of those people, you had, um, ah, boy, the name escaped me here, that walked with God and he was not for God. Enoch, you got it, Enoch. Enoch on the door, right? So Enoch walked with God and he was not. Why? Because he had this testimony that he was pleasing to God. So Enoch was not Jewish, was he? Anybody? Was he not Jewish, brother? I don't, th I don't think so. I mean, Jews hadn't come into existence. The tribe of Judah had not yet been born. So people before Jews could walk with God successfully 
and be taken there. But eventually, of course, the earth got so corrupt that God cleaned the slate. Right? So you have eight survivors, Noah and three sons and their wives. Everything's wiped out, and we start again. And by the way, as it was in the days of Noah, what's going to happen? As in the days of Noah, so we find our world is declining as in the days of Noah, when finally, maybe the Lord will return tonight. Are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready? So this mystery in verse 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, I can't quite see that too clearly. So where are we, where are we now? Uh, okay, we've got down to seven. All right, good. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with our brother. We're fellow heirs with him. We, who know nothing about Judaism, know nothing about following the law, know nothing about these things, we are fellow heirs. This is a mystery. We don't belong there. We're not part of it. But this is this wonderful mystery. And we're members of the same body, and we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the good news. We're partakers. We can participate. We can be part of that. Otherwise, we're excluded. We're on the outside looking in. But we can be partakers. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, Paul speaking, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Apostle Paul recognized that he was an opponent. He was opposed to the gospel. He slaughtered anybody who taught this, believed this, followed this. And he's, as you remember, on his way into Damascus or Damascus. And he's got orders to arrest these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And now, you may recall that when Stephen was stoned to death, there was a young man who was holding the garments of those who were stoning him. And the young man's name was Saul. And I think that young man, seeing that man die, you know, it, it starts to work in the brain. Now, he remained opposed, and he remained going to go out and arrest these people. But nevertheless, he couldn't get that out of his sight. Later in his life, as he's getting ready to die, he says something about having strength or having, you know, something at the end of his life. And I'm thinking, he saw Stephen die. And Stephen wasn't saying, ah, ah, ah. no, Stephen was saying, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. You know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, technically, these are Roman soldiers. They know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know they're fulfilling God's plan, right? The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. It's a mystery that you and I can be included. But that's the mystery. And he says, I was made a minister 
of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace. We're going on. Verse 8 should be, hopefully. Are we there? Eh, okay, try this. Hey, is that 8? Yeah, it looks like 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Here's this proud, arrogant Jewish scholar born in Turkey, in Tarsus, southeast Turkey, not far from where the big uh, uh, earthquake took place not too long back, right? What was it, last year, I think, and it just destroyed all kinds of places. Well, he was born very near there, not very far from Antioch in northwest Syria, or western Syria, near the ocean. And this guy, a Turk, um, I like to tell my Muslim friend, did you know that most of the Injil was written by a Turk? I said, what? You know, because they know that all Turks are Muslims. So, no, no, we have quite a discussion and finally we get her. <laughs> anyway, another story. It was a great way to start the conversation with a Turkish person. Yeah. So, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to us, the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Riches that, I mean, how can we comprehend this? The riches of Christ. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Unsearchable. I don't know about you. I'm sure all of you are very forgiving people. I'm sure that you have no one in your life now that you need to forgive because you've done such a good job of, you know, going through and, you know, rooting out all the people. You know, right? You've all done this. The unsearchable riches of God's forgiveness. Beloved, this forgiveness is for those who place their trust in him. It's an enormous mystery. Now, for the Jewish people who came along after you know, the tribe of Judah was born, you know, they were the chosen ones, the chosen people. And they followed, Moses got the Ten Commandments. And, of course, the eleventh one, right? You love your neighbors yourself. And to that, the Jewish leadership, the priest, the priestly tribe, eventually they're the ones in charge. I don't know, we have people like that in Washington that are in charge, you know? And they just kind of make it up as they go along and just add to things. And, you know, so eventually you had 601 other rules show up. And then you add, you know, the 11 commandments. I mean, the 10 plus the one Jesus had. So they had 613 religious laws and rules which dictated how you're supposed to live. And if you live like that, then you may be acceptable in the sight of God. Well, who can... I mean, I don't know. Do you, listen, what's the speed limit out here on this 95? What is it, 25 miles, what's it? Yeah, how many of you, how many of you, uh, you know, exceed that? Right? I mean, we can't even keep a simple speed limit. Hello? How are we going to keep 613 religious laws about how we eat and how we cook and what we wear and what we do? This is the effort of mankind to, you know, to make you somehow conform to my plan, my wishes, my rules. 
And you have to look to me, the leader. I mean, look at the, the leadership in large churches around the world. I mean, it's like our politics. You know, let's see who gets in charge. Now I'm the king now, so I make the rules and get rid of this king. We got another king. All this nonsense going on under organized religion. It's horrible. It's horrible. And the question is, are you living under organized religion? I mean, how many people do you know that are bound by these kind of laws and rules and I'm trying and striving to somehow you know, live this wonderful, this perfect life and I can't do it. I had a friend who was raised as a Roman Catholic. Lovely, lovely, lovely lady. She's still a lovely lady. And she said, you know, as a little girl, I go in the church and the, you know, I have to go and give a confession. And so one time she came and you know, she's trying to give the confession. The pastor says, you know, so what do you have to say? She couldn't think of anything. She'd done. So she just made up a bunch of things, you know, told him, I did this, I did that, I did the other thing. Because, you know, I have to do this. It's required. And so, I mean, he's waiting for me to tell something. So she told something. So I asked her, so the following week when he asked, did you tell him, and I lied to you last week. I don't know if you told him that part of your confession. You know, this is what the rules force us to do, and we just cannot clean up our act. And so then one of two things happen. Either we try harder, which means we may become more hypocritical, or we just give it up. And it's mysterious that somehow God has taken care of the problem, and he sent his son to give his life for you, for you. And all you have to do is say thank you. Toda in Hebrew. Shukran in Arabic. Eshkerek in Turkish. Trimakasin in Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. It's a tremendous, tremendous mystery. We are not the chosen people. But the mystery is we are in that number. And we sing songs, right? Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Lord, Lord, I want to be in the number. I want to be in that number. And many want to be in that number, but alas, they're not in that number. So they're striving and striving, trying to polish themselves enough to, you know, listen, I don't know anybody here brush your teeth and still have bad breath. I know, so use a little mouthwash too. We still have bad breath. You know, no matter how much we polish the shoe, we can't get it to shine. And so we're going to stand before God and tell him, well, I, I, I you know, I, I went to church and I learned some of the hymns by heart and I gave money, you know, I, and I, you know, I was nice to the pastor. Get away from me. I never knew you. Get away from me. Only thing that will count. Someday. The Jesus, the blood of Christ. It's the only thing that matters. Only thing that matters. Problem is, when I do that, it takes away from me what I can do. I have to humble myself and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner like me. That's all it takes. So the Apostle Paul is given the privilege, this man who persecuted the church, hounded these people, hailed them into prison. He himself is converted, and now 
he can talk about this amazing, amazing thing. See, in the early church, they were all Jews, were they not? I think the 12 disciples, any of the 12 disciples were Christians, you know, any? No, I think they're all Jews. And as the church grew, of course, on the day of Pentecost, you had 3,000 people that were added to the church. And they were from all over the place, 18 different languages. And when the disciples spoke in tongues, I don't think it was this tongue speaking that I hear in these days around here. Not just here, but every place. I mean, I've heard some people, most unusual noises coming from them. And the extraordinary thing is that in, in groups, they all make the same unusual noises. But they say they're speaking in tongues. But in this case, in Pentecost, there are people from 18 different people groups. And here these Galilean fishermen are there. And the guy from China says, hey, how's this guy speak Chinese? I mean, I, I, you know, well, this guy's speaking Indonesian. That one's speaking French. And this one's speaking you know, other local languages from there. How do they speak those languages? I heard of a man once in Canada, in the west coast of Vancouver. The ship came in. Russian sailors were on the ship, and they're having a meeting about Jesus. And some of these guys came, and one of the fellows was speaking to some of these sailors in Russian, explaining the gospel to them. And at the end of the meeting, his friend said, Brother, you speak Russian? No, I don't speak Russian. What do you mean you don't speak Russian? You're speaking Russian to those sailors. He said, no, I wasn't. They were talking to me in English. Now, I would say that's a definite gift of tongues, speaking, you know, the, right, the interpretation, speaking in an unknown language to you, and you just know it. Anyway, bottom line, all those people came, and gradually what happened was the church became more Gentile than it did Jewish. And so jealousy and frustration built up. Because look, we're the chosen people. And you won't be circumcised to be like one of us. And if you're going to be like... Along where the people were preaching, as they preached into the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world. And so that led to, uh, you know, tensions. Thus you get the letter to Romans. Jews... And Gentiles in the same church, the Apostle Paul is trying to, you know, get them to see each other as equally lost, equally saved by the blood of Christ, not by the circumcision done with hands, rather the circumcision of the heart. Beloved, this morning, are you circumcised? Ladies? Well, not me, that's for men. In the heart? Ah, that's for all. Circumcised in the heart? Are you circumcised in the heart? Is your heart broken because of the sin in your life? You see, Jesus came to give us life for us that we might sorrow and repent and be grateful for what he's done. And it's a mystery because we weren't the chosen ones. It's a mystery that you and I, outsiders, brought inside so he says where'd we stop on this thing now where are we here? Uh, verse 29 okay good sorry about that I just can't see up there with the lights verse 29 keep going here so 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through this church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. The angels are looking amazing. What's going on? What's going on in the church? The Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. It's amazing. Amazing. They haven't known you know, for years because you had the rebellion in heaven. Satan misled a third of the angels and away they go. And what's left? They're saying, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And now they see God bringing all together. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's done. Jesus said, it is tetelestai. It is finished. It's done. It's over. The plan is complete. Now it's up to us to yield ourselves to him and stop trying to wash ourselves with our good deeds. We'll stand before him and, you know, all, like, like I said, I went to church and he'll say, you know, get a life because you're dead. You need to get a life. Well, the only way I get a life is to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Through the church, through the church, the manifold or manifold, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who is that? It's the angels. Not the kings that died and they're in the heavenly place. No, no, the rulers and authorities. You know, someone said cherubim and seraphim. And we all know a cherub is a little baby, not a cute little baby, it's a little angel. Cherubim is plural, beam in Hebrew, im. So the angels, right? The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Let's see if we can hit the next one. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Talking again about that mystery. Colossians 1, here we go. 24 to 29, right? Yeah. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And the mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ next to you, not Christ in front of you or Christ behind you, or not Christ beside you. Christ in you, in you, the hope of glory. Is he in you, beloved? Is he in you? You know, I don't want to get graphic here, but in the making of a child, you know you have two cells that need to meet. Now, one cell is the egg, and it's surrounded by, I guess, millions. I don't know. I've never counted them, but lots of other little cells. And only when one pierces the other, 
Only then does life begin. Until then, it's just one egg surrounded by sperm. Only when the one goes in, now there's life. Christ in you, not Christ around you. You know, I go to church, religious people, and they're all wonderful, and they're all Christians, and Christ is all around me. It's not that. It's not when I, you know, I read my Bible and I memorize verses. Oh, I, I, I mean, like Muslims, the, the Quran, the Quran is about 80% the length of the New Testament. Does not include any writings of the prophets. They mention some prophets in, in, in Islam. But there's nothing written by a prophet that they can look at. They mention the Zabur, the Psalms. But there's nothing, they have no Psalms written. So the only one they have might be in a Bible, but they're, you know, forbidden to read the Bible. I have Catholic friends that grew up that are not allowed to read the Bible, you know. So some reason you can't read the thing. So here, amazingly, they're prevented from seeing the truth. They're not allowed to look. And you and I are allowed to look. And Jesus wants to come into our life and to change us in such a way that now we become his ambassadors. Are you that ambassador today? Not surrounded by ambassadors, but are you one of those ambassadors? If you are, I pray that you're reaching out to the unreachable, the unlovable, and the unforgivable. I don't know, maybe you're not one of the unforgivable. But frankly, my speech was absolutely unforgivable, shameful. My father was, you know, an angry man. So, and my mother, my great-grandfather, I don't want to go on, but my great-grandfather was converted at age 29 as a doctor uh, in the Midwest, and the Lord sent him to Egypt for the next 50 years of his life. And he led many, many, many Muslims and Christians to Christ. Did I say Christians? I meant to say Christians. Many. And his mother and father, they prayed that their son would be an evangelist. And when he told his mother he's going to be a doctor, she nearly fainted. She went and cried for three days. Destroyed. She never lived. She only lived another year. Never knew that he led all these people to the Lord as a doctor. What could you do? Yeah. So transformation. Transformation. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Is he in you, brother, sister? Or is he just around you? Has he penetrated your life in such a way that you have new life? Still a sinner, still broken. But you have new life. You see, I have something I can tell someone. I have something I can tell them. What can I tell them? God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You and I 
can be the warners. Often we're warning this way. And we need to do it a different way. We need to do it a different way. Well, let's see. Where are we next here? Next slide. Colossians 2, 1 to 8. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I pray, beloved, that you're firm in your faith. Doesn't mean you're, you know, pointing your finger at people, looking down on them, but you're firm in your faith. Understanding, I am a sinner saved by grace and grateful. Beloved, you know, sometimes in the army we talked about having an attitude of gratitude. I don't know, this, maybe, maybe that applies to you today. I don't know. I don't know. The firmness of your faith in Christ. Yeah, well, let's take a look. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. I can see it now, so yeah. 1 Peter 1. You know, it's interesting. 1 Peter, if you look at, if you look at 1 Peter, just if you have a Bible handy, he introduces himself in 1 Peter chapter 1 as Peter, comma, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's true. I mean, he walked with Peter. I mean, walked with Peter. He walked with Jesus. He walked on water, like a low, not for very far, you know, but he did at least get maybe one foot on there, and then, you know, from there was a, a descending process. An apostle of Jesus Christ. If you look at 2 Peter, he introduces, he introduces himself differently. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. What do you think is the difference? Peter, an apostle. And as time goes by, maybe the thought came to him, hey, slow down, Charlie, or Peter. You know, think about this. Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Are you a servant of Christ? Are you his servant? Are you willing to go where he says go? Will you go when he says go? Or will you say no because I can't go? Because I know that I don't want to go. Or I can't go or, you know, whatever. He says, speak to your neighbor. Well, you know, they might think I'm weird. Oh, that we might be his servants. We might be able to share with them. Because you know what? I think people everywhere are caught up by the mystery. They wonder, how, how can I connect? I mean, people want to connect today. How can I connect with God? I don't know how they're going to connect with God. And you are the one that can say to them, this is a very simple thing. Well, what does the Lord say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. 
and he will exalt you in six minutes, uh, in due time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So that's the hardest thing for human beings, isn't it? I don't know why we're so proud, you know, arrogant in the army. Stand tall, look proud. You know, did they say that in the Marines? Right? Stand tall, look proud, you know, march, you know, heels, dig your heels in. Well, we don't have much to be proud of, but we can stand tall if we give ourselves fully to him and let him, let him begin to live through us. Oh, beloved, I pray that that's your experience, that you'll let him live through you. Well, because he's done this, we've had this tremendous miracle, this great mystery that Jesus has come to live in us. And Paul is writing to this church. It's the seaport city. And all of you, I don't know, you're in the Marines, so you, you know any sailors, brother? Yeah. So we all know that when sailors go to places like Bridgeport or Southport or Westport, right? So what happens in the port? Anybody ever heard the expression, hey, sailor, new in town? I mean, port cities are, you know, there's a lot of loose money running around, loose people. So we have a world around us of people that are like that. New in town? Yeah, people all around us. And I just pray that somehow you will see, see the people around you. And pray for them. If you can't talk to them, pray for them. I have sons that know the truth, but are not walking in the truth. And they will pay the price. I can't emphasize that to them enough. How can I say more? Shut up, Dad. We've heard it all before. Don't want to know. Well, I was like that. I was like that. I want to hear it. And then one fine day, the Lord said... And the mystery began. And I think it's true for you, for many of you here. But maybe for some of you, you're still kind of, you know, thinking, well, this church may help me get, you know, a little more holy, a little, a little holier. But the good news is from Romans, the joy that we can see in, in Romans 11. And you can read it just as well as I can, probably better than I can, because you don't have the light in your eyes. Romans 11, what is that? 33 to 36, would you believe? Yeah, those years are gone for me, beloved. Uh, 80 in December, you know what I'm saying? So, Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We just cannot understand his ways. The human mind cannot take it in. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Oh, the riches, the riches. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Beloved, the reason we meet as a church is to worship and give adoration to this one who loved us 
and gave himself for a sinner such as I. Sinners such as we. You know, and if we're grateful for that, that gratitude should show, that attitude of gratitude should show. You know, I mean, I've met some Christians that, boy, they got long, sour faces. You ever meet any like that? You know, I think, my goodness, I, I've got joy, 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 joy down in my shoes, down in my shoes. You know, come on, baby. Lighten it up here, you know. Where's the joy of the Lord, which is all my strength? Oh, I pray that you're one of those people that people wonder, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you're just, you know, going all the time. Well, beloved, yeah, I've gone, I think, too long. So, um, speaking of gone too long, I just, uh, I guess I shared with you earlier that my beloved, after almost 50 years, went like that. People have asked me, well, you know, I said, you know, I cannot be sad. I had three choices, by the way. When you lose your wife or husband, you'll have three choices also. I could be angry. Yeah. You left me. How dare you leave me, right? Or I could be jealous I mean, I'm older than you are, and I don't know why the Lord took you first. I mean, you know, I came to the Lord first before you did. And, or I could be really joyful. She's with him. Oh, imagine. Oh, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait. It'd be a wonderful, wonderful time to be with. You know, she's, she's with the Lord, and she's with Adam and Eve. Probably Cain is not there, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe he's there, but I don't think he's there. And with all the saints, and plus all the people that we've known in 50 years of walking with the Lord, who loved the Lord and were radiant in their lives, and they've gone on to be with him, and, you know, she's with them too, having a wonderful time. I'm a little jealous, I confess. So I hope that you have this perspective too, that one day I'll see him as he is. I'll see him as he is. And then what will you do? What will we do when we stand in his presence? Will we weep? Will we fall down at his feet? Will we want to kiss him but we don't dare because, you know, it's Jesus after all. You know, I don't know how many of you rush up and kiss your pastor quickly. Did many? Maybe the ladies, but, you know, maybe the men don't want to kiss you. I don't know, brother. But anyway, you know, an important person. You go and meet the president of the United States. You rush over and kiss him. Eh? I don't think so. You probably have someone, you know... Get away. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> Just think, we'll be there at his feet. <sighs> what joy there'll be. Well, let's just review quickly. Taking you on kind of a long, wandering journey. By the way, how do you find Ephesians? You go eat popcorn. Or you think of General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Yeah. Okay, so we're back in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, and the reason was that in verse 22 of chapter 2, he said, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. You're being built into a dwelling place for God. 
by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Lord of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, knocked me off my horse, if he was on a horse. Maybe he's riding in a donkey, or maybe he's walking, but bang, right? Knocked me down. Known, made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul, a Pharisee, a student of Gamaliel, the chief priest and, you know, the great teacher, a brilliant, brilliant man. And he's knocked off his horse, and he understands the mystery of Christ, the Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, we are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. It's all about him, him, him. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Again, the angels wanted to look in and wonder, wonder what is this all about? What's God going to do here? This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We will stand before him. All will stand before God on the day of judgment. And we have an advocate with the Father. You know, when you go, I don't know, I've not been, in, I don't know, I can't remember going to court. I guess I went to court once for a situation where somebody, you know, didn't pay the rent, Right? But, you know, when you go to court, especially a criminal court, uh, I think if you're the defendant, you hire a lawyer, usually. Somehow you get a lawyer. Not all. Some people think, oh, I'll be my own lawyer. But, you know, normally you have a lawyer, and when you have the lawyer, what are you told to do? Stand up and sing a song? Told, zip it. Right? I'll do the talking. That's what the lawyer tell you, right? I mean, I'll do the talking. Abrogado. And Jesus says, I'll do the talking. You just be quiet. And so he says, Father, this one is mine. This one is mine. This one, I don't know this one. Go away. Wonderful news, huh? Yeah. So in Jesus, we have boldness and access. Access with confidence through our faith in him. Oh, I hope you have this certain confidence today. Not in your ability, but knowing he, he rose from the dead. And all we have to do is say, thank you. 
That's all we have to do. Believe it and say thank you and walk accordingly. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Don't be sad for the martyrs. Let's just quickly finish with this. Ephesians chapter, uh, I beg your pardon, Revelation chapter 6, just so that we don't get confused about what's going on in the world today. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through uh, 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, he's looking in, in heaven, and this angel opens a seal, and he sees under the altar, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, the Christians thrown to the lions in Rome, the Christians slaughtered by uh, ISIS, the ISIS crisis. Actually, ISIS killed more Muslims than anybody else. Do you know why? They were not Islamic enough. Right? So just kill them. So these are people who have been slain for the witness of Christ they had borne. In verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the martyrs. They're there in heaven, and they're crying out, Lord, when are you, you know, when are you? Verse 11, then they were each given a white robe and told, Stanishwaya in Arabic, you know, rest a little longer, just a little longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When will Jesus return? When the number's complete. Beloved, that may mean many more martyrs yet to come. Perhaps not you. But, you know, as I look at friends in Pakistan, I have a friend in Pakistan who's already been threatened by people with guns. He's a Hindu, but he came to Christ, and the Muslims came and said, you're converting people? So there are many, many martyrs yet to come. But when the full number has come, then maybe, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. So the time is coming. Every kingdom has collapsed. Empires. The Roman Empire lasted 1,100 years. It ended with the Holy Roman Empire separated, of course, from the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church in Constantinople. Then the next longest empire was 600 years, and I've forgotten who it was, but it's somebody. And then after that, most empires last 300, 250 to 300 years. And we've had many in our own continent. So you had the Aztecs, the Toltecs, the Mayans, and there's a fourth one. Who's the fourth group? Incas, the Incas. Inca, Maya, Aztec, Toltec. And those empires came up and they were powerful and they controlled and they ruled everything. And they're gone. 
And only now, by the satellite photographs, people looking down, they say in the jungles there, oh, look, there's some, something organized in there. And they take the GPS and they go and they find enormous temples, pyramids, stepped pyramids, different from the Egyptian smooth pyramids, stepped pyramids where they sacrifice their enemies to their gods. But very, very sophisticated societies. Nobody knows nothing. Where do they go? What happened to them? And you had the Egyptian empire came and, you know, these things everywhere, power and might. And then we had all, you know, in China, great empires that rose and fell. In Angkor Wat in Cambodia, discovered during the Vietnam War, this enormous palace in the jungles, Angkor Wat, Hindu temples and palace, a huge kingdom that operated Cambodia and Laos and uh, down through Malaysia and, you know, huge area, Thailand, gone. Nobody knows nothing about it. And you had Indian empires, many, Mongol, uh, Mughals, Mughals, many, many empires. And then you had the European empires, a long list of those. In West Africa, you had a huge empire, the Ashanti people. Enormous empires, gone. Then you had the British Empire. The sun never sets on the British uh, Empire. I think it's set. And the French Empire. And the Portuguese Empire. And the Spanish Empire, the Philippines, and here in the South America and all these places. And the Dutch Empire, they took Indonesia, the archipelago, and this and that. And the Danish even had an empire. Well, the Danish like this, a small place, they had an empire. Gone, gone, 250 years, 300 years. 250 years, does that sound familiar to you? Just think about it. The decline is coming, beloved. And the question is, will we be his ministers? will be this mysterious people somehow, a mystery that how God would save you in this empire is it's collapsing morally. Certainly it's going down morally. Now maybe there'll be a change, but I don't think so. I'm sure every one of those empires, as it collapsed, the people in that empire thought, oh, it must be the return of the Lord because look, everything's going downhill. So maybe he won't come back when this one goes. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll come before. Question is, whenever he comes, are you ready to see him? Because you will see him. You will see him. The question is, will you stand before him or will it be, I never knew you. Go away. Yes, I know you gave to missions and you were kind in your church and you helped your web-footed friend and all of those things. Remember the song? Be kind to your web-footed friend for a duck may be somebody's mother. They lived way down by the swamp, where it is very, very damp. Well, yeah, so, you know, we have our good works and all of those things, but the only thing that matters is sangre de, of the lamb. Cor, Cordoba? Cordero. Cordero. Sangre del Cordero, the blood of the lamb. I pray you're washed in it and that you're walking with him. Thank you so much. For your faithfulness, some of you have been here a long time, some of you haven't been here, some who have been here are gone, but that's okay. You be faithful. You be faithful, and God will bless. Thank you.